0: to EV Chat Season 3. I'm your host Rue Phillips. This show is an electric vehicle podcast with a difference. We're going to be interviewing some key players from the electric vehicle industry, legislators, manufacturers, drivers from the street. Stick around. This is a fun kind of podcast. Welcome back folks, today's episode is brought to you by Fluke, the world leader in manufacturer, distribution and service of electric tests and measurement tools. Fluke, keeping your world up and running. Now, today's episode, Venus Jenkins, COO of Chargenet Stations. Venus, what a great name by the way, is a chemical engineer with experience as a nuclear chemistry tech at San Onofre Nuclear Generating Station here in California. Wow. She spent 15 years at Southern California Edison. She holds an MBA from MIT and a chemical engineering degree from UC Santa Barbara. We've got a smart guest with us today. She's led the largest fiber infrastructure deployment project in Orange County, California, and is the co-founder and chief operating officer of ChargeNet Stations. ChargeNet Stations is a San Diego-based startup tech company specializing in solar-powered fast EV chargers. Their software platform makes it seamless for customers to get a superior EV charging experience, and they're about to open their first station, in the parking lot of Taco Bell restaurant in South San Francisco. Now, it's not every day I get to say this on my show, but welcome aboard, Venus.
1: Thank you, Rue, for having me on your podcast. I'm really looking forward to this. So, ChargeNet Stations is our startup where we are building EV charging infrastructure and integrating with our own software. So, it's a full platform with the hardware And software. So it's a turnkey solution for fast food restaurants.
0: So what gave you the idea for the company?
1: That's an interesting story. And our CEO, Tosh Dutt, could uh, definitely go really deep into that. I'll keep it sort of a summary sentences of this. How we came about was, where could we make the biggest impact? We already know that Predominantly, the EV drivers have sort of figured out where to charge or have level two chargers installed, the residential chargers, and or Tesla drivers who have access to fast charging network. So this made us think, how do we democratize it for the other 99% of the population? And along with that, where is that one location or one point of intersection where either the cars are sitting idle and we want to reduce that footprint, or they are spending a bit more time doing other things. So when we look at all those data points, we determine that fast food restaurants and drive throughs is where we could make the biggest impact. We make our charging convenient for our customers instead of sitting in the drive-thru now just taking that time to charge their cars and the food is delivered to them. So We are making it synchronous with their daily routine. And that's where the idea came from, Chargenet, that it has to be part of somebody's daily routine, not go out of their way to think about it. Oh, I need to charge. Oh, I'm hungry. It's lunchtime. I'm going to go grab something to eat. While I'm grabbing, I can also charge all under one transaction. And that's where the idea came from.
0: Tell us a little bit more about Chargenet stations and how you came to join the founders.
1: Yes, this is a pretty fun story. Actually, I had just finished business school and I was looking for my next endeavor, adventure, but I put together a guiding document. And in the guiding document, I said, whatever my next step is, next move is, it it has to meet these things. And number one was work on something that will make an impact. Even if it's my little dent in the world, it has to be, solving a problem for society on a a scale that where i could see a direct line of sight i was working in a large corporation the large corporation that i worked for it was a large utility and did pretty well and they were doing things for the right reasons and right purposes i just couldn't see my direct line of impact so i wanted to go work for a smaller company Just around that time, Tosh and Rebecca, I think, were also contemplating the same thing. They were also working for a very large utility, too, and realized that there are opportunities in today's environment where we could bring together our backgrounds, Tosh, is uh, engineering and sales and energy infrastructure. Rebecca in software engineering, mine in power plant engineering. Yes, all three of us are engineers, uh, but there's someone with sales experience too. All three of us were thinking about similar things, and all three of us also had number two on my list, which was the big thing that mattered to me was diversity. And I know there's a lot of discussion in this area and have had uh, quite a lot of open discussions in large corporations, but I did not see the needle moving in the right direction for a while. And the other two co-founders felt the same way. So we purposely thought about that whatever our next move is, whoever we go work for or whatever we start, we have to build that culture with that mindset. For me, it was very simple. I live in Southern California, which is a very diverse community with uh, immigrants from many, many different backgrounds. I wanted to work for a company or start a company that looked like the area I lived in. Um, And that was number two. And then there are other more technical things I won't go down the list. Um, So I reached out to actually uh, four startups and ChargeNet was one of them. And at that point, it was just a registered company. Nothing was in place and Tosh, Rebecca, and I really hit it off. Looking at how fully aligned we were, at that point, Tosh had already put together a proposal. Rebecca was helping him out part-time and I was the third one. I said, what can I do? So we all brought our experiences to the table and looked at where we could make the biggest reduction in carbon footprint and the biggest impact in our communities. And that was the fast food restaurants specifically addressing the internal combustion engine cars sitting in the drive through There was this aha moment that there is an intersection here where we could reduce the carbon footprint by moving the cars from drive through to the chargers. We could propose solutions that are more plant-based food and have solar canopy that could offset the building load and battery storage help with energy resiliency. So all the pieces came together. And the biggest one was we noticed that the fast food restaurants are disproportionately in disadvantaged communities. And that's when it clicked that there is the perfect intersection of the problem we are trying to solve we are all talking about EVs are coming and we need to get the charging stations. But who is looking at it is what about the rest of the population where people may not want to put in big investments in neighborhoods that may not get the returns. But for us, that was very important. And that's the ethos of ChargeNet. And uh, like I said, we were so fully aligned from cultural ethos, from our impact uh, alignment, the mission alignment. And that's how Chargenet came to be. And then it was the typical startup pains. Oh, we're not going to make it. Oh, we got a customer. Oh, this thing broke down. Oh, no, nope, we got our chargers. Um, so now we're heading in a very positive direction and a, on a steep growth projectile.
0: Great story, thank you. So what are you starting in San Francisco? I hope that's where you're starting.
1: Yes, we have a a pretty large portfolio with our current customer, a big franchisee of Taco Bell. And the first site we selected, South San Francisco, it's due to the close proximity to the airport where we noticed that there is a higher EV penetration and that side had all the components we needed, a decent sized parking lot, good solar profile, and a number of charging station parking spots that we could add to the existing parking lot. So yes, our first site uh, construction is done. We are waiting to connect to the grid, but that could happen any day. We're in the final steps with PG&E, and that's where our first site is.
0: So talk to me a little bit more about Taco Bell for those that are international listeners. Taco Bell is a fast food chain, a Mexican fast food chain, is that right?
1: Yes, I was going to say the international listeners should know this too. They have a great viral campaign. Maybe if your listeners want to Google it, Alaska Taco Bell, and they will come up with a lot of fun viral stories. So Taco Bell is a fast food restaurant, and they are Mexican food, as you mentioned. The quick story I was going to share about Alaska, about our customer, is that somebody wanted Mexican food in their town, and they started a rumor that Taco Bell is coming to their town. And Taco Bell is like, we didn't sign up for this. But then it just became so huge that they, I think they delivered free tacos for the whole town or dropped a shipping container. And but I don't think they opened a Taco Bell there. So, yeah, if, if you uh look it up online, they're a very large Mexican fast food restaurant, quick serve restaurants, not franchisee uh Big chain.
0: So, what's the cost if I'm gonna come to Taco Bell for fast food? How much is it gonna cost me the EV driver?
1: So, for this year, with our 75 kilowatt chargers, we're looking at about 15 minutes of charge for 100 miles is about ten dollars, and that should be a very positive shock to your listeners. I hope so, at least. We are in California, where our average gasoline price is six dollars a gallon. So. Just to compare it in equivalent numbers, our cost of charging is equivalent to $2 a gallon. Wow. Yes. So I I like to highlight this because that is the positive effect of EVs, that you are quite cost competitive against oil and gas.
0: Okay. So wait a minute. For 15 minutes, I get 100 miles. For $10, I go buy a taco. Can I get hot sauce with that?
1: (laughs) Of course, I like to mention my favorite is fire. They have different kinds. They can look up online too. Fire has a really good flavor.
0: So, yeah, how many uh, Taco Bell restaurants that uh, are you aiming at uh, putting these in?
1: So, right now we are on the path of finishing construction, or beginning, are to different stages of construction. About eighty Taco Bell sites. Wow! Uh, all wow. in California. By the end of this year, our entire portfolio is 155 sites. If we don't run into any major supply chain challenges, then we are aiming to have all 155, at least the construction completed by mid 2023.
0: I think it's an awesome business model. I really do. I'm a big fan of fast charge, EV driving myself, but what better of a place to put them at fast food chains? So how many more stations did you say you got coming out there? About 50?
1: Each site has about four to six fast chargers. And just doing a quick math, looking at 100 sites, that would be 600 fast DC chargers, four to 600 fast DC chargers. So quite extensive network in a very short period of time for all the Taco Bell sites for our franchisee.
0: That's a lot of tacos.
1: (laughs) Yeah, that's a lot of tacos. That's a lot of power and chargers. I I was curious, what kind of EV do you drive?
0: Oh, my goodness. I just bought a Mercedes-AMG EQS. That is awesome. I I absolutely love it. I really do. I was going to go for something sporty. I wanted something different than the Tesla. Nothing wrong with the Tesla guys out there. There's so many of them around. So I wanted something sporty, and I tested a few, and it was either the Porsche Taycan or this. And so I went with more of a corporate look. Okay. I'll be honest. I wanted something with four doors for my grandchildren that was sporty. <laughs> yeah, where you could so, put a car seat in. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> and, and get golf clubs in, in the back. So talk to me about the criticism that people that eat at fast food restaurants don't drive electric vehicles. What's your thought on that?
1: This is a pretty common question. We get that quite a bit. And it goes back to what was in the ethos of our original idea. Like we said, you know, the folks who have already adopted the EVs, they have figured out their charging solutions. It's the next 30 plus models that are coming out and how in California by 2030, there will be no sales of ICE internal combustion engines. So we're looking at this huge ramp up of EV adoption in California. And by looking at the number of EV adoption on the current trajectory, about, I think it's about 5.6 million EVs. And in the next, we're in 2022, in the next eight years, basically by the end of 2030, no more ICE. So we're building that network. We're building that infrastructure and getting it prepared for this massive influx that is coming in. And that is not just limited to non-fast food eaters, it's gonna be everyone. And there is another statistic that about 36% of Americans eat at fast food restaurants at least one meal a day. And that number is close to 80 million people every day. And to think that nobody out of those 80 million or very low percentage would be driving EVs, I think that would be a stretch. So to answer your question, We are looking at that massive influx. We're looking at the upcoming 30-plus models. We are looking at the existing 5.6 EV drivers right now. And we are looking at how many people that already eat at these fast food restaurants. If you take a look at all these data points, we're pretty confident that that question becomes moot
0: at that point. Good point. What are the challenges that you're facing right now in uh, implementing your business model?
1: So the challenges are multi-level challenges. One, I don't think it's unique to just us. The supply chain challenge is there. And the big things, I, I will start sounding like a housing developer, but we are running into the same issues as any construction developers would be. So part of our design is that we have a solar canopy there too, to offset some of the building carbon footprint and that canopy requires steel. So steel prices have been very volatile. Now we're also in some tariff battles with China, so that's impacting our modules. And then the chargers also have indirect impact due to these commodities being in such volatile situation. So supply chain is, is a big challenge for us, but I think we're doing okay in securing our supply chain and in some cases, hedging against some uh, price volatility. The second one is, at some point, all stakeholders have to come to the table. What I mean by that is that California has very pro-EV adoption policies. And the customers, the end customers, are also adopting EVs at a pretty fast rate, especially it's increased quite a bit in the last two years as the gas prices start to go to 5 or $6. The missing part is we still need policies to be clearly defined when it comes to the utilities, the incentives, and local AHAs, which is local authorities that approve the permits. There always seems to be a disconnect for right now because I know we are evolving different interpretations of the policies, different interpretations of the code, and tariffs, And we, as a business and as a startup and a small business, we have to navigate all these different interpretations when things are not clarified in the policy. And I get it. Sometimes policies are there to directionally push people to get the EV infrastructure or big things done. Uh, But those are the challenges left to businesses to solve. And those are very big challenges being asked of a small startup to solve. And we are running into quite a lot of those challenges. Like I said, different interpretations of EV code, accessible code at local jurisdictions and at utilities regarding the rate structures and many more. So those are the two big challenges. It's not like those are not solvable. We are facing them and we're still moving forward and still hitting our deliverable dates.
0: So what's exciting, and I want to kind of reiterate this, the solar component as well. I mean, they're not just EV charging stations. they got solar on top of them. Is that making it easier for the project to implement? The fact that you're not just green with the car, but you got a solar canopy over them. Is that an advantage?
1: Yes, it is a big advantage. Let me actually share the whole system. So it's actually EV chargers, battery storage, and solar carport over the parking lot these three distributed energy resources put together with our software provides us a competitive edge over our other competitors our other folks in the market how it helps us is that we are able to make a very solid proposition to our b2b customer and that our b2b customer is the franchisee the fast food restaurant owner Because with the solar canopy, not just we offset the people sitting in the drive-thrus, we're also, I mean, the carbon footprint offset from the people sitting in the drive-thru, we're also offsetting the carbon footprint from the building's usage of the electricity. So there is not built-in incentive for the franchisee to sign with us. Because we are saving them 10 to 20 percent on their energy bill too with our solar canopy and the battery storage provides a whole host of benefits in California we have wildfires and I'm sure look at US I'm like every state has their own disaster that we all prepare for their hurricanes their wildfires but mostly you know in the west we deal with big wildfires why I bring that up is one of the biggest benefits of the battery storage is that resiliency so we have this large EV charging infrastructure in California, and there's large influx of EVs. When we get public safety power shutoffs, which is PSPS from our utilities, or and that usually happens when we have wildfire or very high winds. If the chargers are not connected to the grid, how are you gonna provide the charge to the cars? And that's a big resiliency factor that plays into our design so the battery storage provides that energy resiliency so for a couple of hours not for full six hours but for two hours or so we can provide that charge to our customers
0: that's interesting so could you do a standalone without the grid you could power for a couple of hours
1: yeah i mean depending on how many spots are taken yeah um so if we are still looking at four to six chargers yes
0: that's pretty awesome uh, we could
1: support the chargers for two hours
0: that is pretty awesome. It really is. You know, I'm a big solar guy as well as EV and to see when you put them together. And if I'm understanding correctly, each one of the components within your system, the battery energy storage, the solar PV and the EV, they stand alone on their own advantageous component. If you like the EV, if there's no sun, it's going to work. The battery energy storage. If there's no EV, it's going to offset the peak demand. It's a great model. It really, really is. So outside of fast food restaurants, where are you looking to implement and put these?
1: We have gotten some interesting inquiries, which I thought they're fun to entertain. There are some sports arenas who have reached out to us and asked us if we could possibly look at supporting their parking lots with BB Charging. Those are obviously much, much larger scale projects. One company we also entertained was a very large Silicon Valley company that I won't mention the name. They also asked if we could build that model, scale it up to their headquarters. So those are fun things that have come our way. But right now, our focus is very much fast food restaurants. That's where we think we could make the biggest impact. And that's where we could expand the network. The fastest. Like I was saying, a couple other things. It's good to know a lot of fast food restaurants are in pretty close proximity to freeways. Our portfolio, I would say good solid 70% of the sites are within half a mile from an on-ramp or an off-ramp freeways. And half of our sites are in disadvantaged and low-income communities. So that's what matters to us. That's the core of ChargeNet. And For the foreseeable future, we'll stay
0: focused on it. Okay, so you mentioned the freeways. I know there are quite a few gas stations here in the U.S. that actually have a Taco Bell component. There's like a a little mini-mart. And let's talk about some of the dark areas. And for me, a dark area is where there are no chargers and there's a 100-plus-mile range between one charger and the next.
1: Yeah, those are the dark areas, actually. When I did my trip from L.A. to San Francisco, that was my big worry. But fortunately, Tesla has done a decent job providing the network. I still think that's a pretty big problem. If it's not the Tesla charging network, if you're talking about CCS and Chatham, which is all the other companies... That network is not available at this point to the level we need it, like the gas stations. And I don't really have a good answer for that, except that we will fill part of that. And then there are other companies that will also have to come in with their business models and support those dark areas.
0: Got it. Now, you just mentioned Tesla, and I know their network is substantial, Electrify America has another substantial uh, – we're talking in, in the U.S. here now, guys, to our listeners. It shouldn't be competing infrastructure. Do you agree? I mean, are you implementing topology connectivity for Teslas for all types of electric vehicles, or for now, is it just one or the other?
1: No, no, no. We are hardware agnostic. Our company is hardware agnostic, and what that means is we will have CCS, Chatmo, and some Tesla connectivity too. We're working on the Tesla piece as an adapter for the Tesla cars, uh, but CCS and Chatmo, we will completely support it.
0: Great. What What do you think it would take for Tesla to put a charger in there rather than just have an adapter?
1: Oh, I wouldn't even know. I don't even know if they would entertain. I mean, to your question regarding should we have competing infrastructure, I'm like, that exists right now. There are two gas stations across the street and they may have different rates
0: so but they're the same gasoline <laughs> it's, it's true. the same, it's and the same pump
1: <laughs> and the electrons are the same too. I look at it as like the market is still in nascent stage and we need everyone and all to make people feel comfortable that they will have access to
0: charge One day it will happen you will see a CCS charger, alongside the Tesla charger at the same site. I think when that happens, it'll be a great day.
1: (laughs) Actually, I just did. I recently did. Um, It's in Carlsbad. I think it was EVgo, and there were only two EVgo chargers and 30 Tesla chargers.
0: Okay, great. Well, that's that's awesome. So let's talk about that existing infrastructure. I'm an O&M guy. Okay. Yeah. Operations and maintenance. On a scale of one to 10, tell me what your thoughts are on the reliability, the operability of existing infrastructure. You know, you showing up at a site and all four chargers are there working ready for you. Give me a score. One to 10, Venus.
1: I'm going to divide it into two parts. Okay. Six or seven years ago, it was probably two. Okay. 10 being the best, zero being the worst. Mm-hmm. I'll give it like no, let me reduce it. It was probably one. <laughs>
0: okay. I had to get
1: towed <laughs> twice. It was very poor. I couldn't get hold of anybody. And I didn't have a Tesla. My first car was Kia Soul EV. Now I would say if you do not have Tesla, it's about four. Mm. Four or five. Because I still go to different charging stations and other cars are parked in there. So there is no solution. You show up, you connect your charger. The car, and you go about being on your phone or go shopping, whatever the deal is. Come back 10, 15 minutes later, the car hasn't started. There's no notification. Oh, by the way, this charger is not working. There's no caution tape around it. I mean, it's getting better, but it is not to the level of customer service and the ease that we have at gas stations.
0: Yeah, there's an etiquette. Would you agree? I mean, you wouldn't expect to go to a gas station and see cars parked where the gas pumps are and nobody in them. You just wouldn't expect that. So I don't know what it's gonna take. You know, we call it iced, ladies and gentlemen, where an internal combustion engine has taken up the spot of an EV charger. We call it it's being iced. And it's, <laughs> it's annoying, it's painful. It's got nothing to do with the reliability of the actual charging site itself. It's moreover that we need to come up with a process, a protocol, or an etiquette, if you like. We're not there yet. But, you know, my question was towards the actual equipment and the, the reliability of that.
1: The reliability itself, I would rate it slightly higher. Mm-hmm. It would be 7 because I have seen what good and the best looks like. And for CCS and Chathamoo, I don't think we are there yet where we could give it an A-plus score. So I would rate it on the O&M side. It's still around six and a half to seven.
0: Interesting. And now a word from our sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Fluke Corporation, the world leader and manufacturer of electrical test and measurement equipment. Fluke keeps your world up and running. You know, with so many diverse types of EV chargers out there and so much voltage behind them, it's more important than ever to have the right tools to safely and efficiently diagnose, troubleshoot and ensure your electric vehicle supply equipment is working properly after repair. Recently recognized for its intuitive interface and celebrated in the field for its ease of use, the Fluke FEV100 electric vehicle charging station test adapter gives simple on, off or yes, no readings. Clear readings means you can be sure the job is done right. You can rely on Fluke for efficient site repairs while keeping you and your workforce safe from harm along the way. To learn more about Fluke's premium products and a suite of EVSE tools, visit Fluke.com. That's F L U K E.com. Now let's get back to rocking. So let's talk about fast chargers versus level two, the slow near beer, if you like. Call it near beer. What's your thought? Should we be putting more level two, or it should be a combination?
1: I definitely think it's going to be a combination. I love my level two charger. I have had one for six, seven years and it's worked beautifully. And there is a place for that. And that is if you have a garage or you have a driveway, you can put a charger there. However, the multifamily, the large, densely populated areas cannot support that or the landowners are not willing to upgrade the infrastructure. And when you're looking at large, multifamily and, or you're looking at high densely populated area like LA, level two does not make sense. You don't want a tenant sitting in the parking spot for six hours charging their car and icing out, I'm going to use your word,
0: mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> icing out the other cars. That's a fun one. I'm going to use it again. So uh, I think it, it will be a combination. And also, like I said, it has to be convenient. If you are going to shopping center or you're driving long range, you do not want to, or at least I don't want to sit for six hours to get a full charge. Even if you, you know, the case I hear is, what about going to the mall or going grocery shopping? Even then, I don't think level two makes sense there. Because you're not gonna spend six hours in the grocery store. You're not gonna spend six hours in the mall unless they're teenagers and it's the weekend. I won't go into the whole that side. In most cases, people are not going to spend six hours. And that's how many hours you need to get a full charge. And in those cases, fast DC charger network makes sense. But like I said, it's a combination. For example, at work locations, level two chargers make sense. An employee goes in and they're in there for eight hours or so. And it makes sense to have a level two charger for each parking spot. But it has to be each parking spot because when I started, there were only like four or five level two chargers and there were 30 plus EVs and we would all compete for those four and five level two chargers. So I'm giving different use cases. So the final answer is yes, it, it's got to be a combination of both.
0: Here's a, a scenario. You're in charge of a $5 billion infrastructure budget right now. How are you going to spend it, Venus?
1: Give me all of it. I can spend it. Just give it to me. (laughs) Have you seen the steel prices lately?
0: Oh, my goodness.
1: Yeah. I mean, if we are given a $5 billion, I think obviously the big portion should be what America did in 1950s, I want to say 1940s and 50s. We connected each and every city through large freeway infrastructure, and that was built over multi decades and now that has allowed the accessibility and connected all the people so given that five billion dollars that's how i would look at it we are heading in the right direction and it should be pretty much full connectivity first interstate and then inner city well maybe both needs to happen at the same time because inner city is like a lot higher densely populated areas freeways is to remove the Range anxiety. That has got to be the core of $5 billion. Mm-hmm. That is the one thing I would highlight. Remove the range anxiety. And that may include connecting all the freeways, highways, inner cities, everything. I don't think 5 billion is enough because what I'm proposing is a lot larger than that. But that's how, if ChargeNet gets 5 billion, we would go connect all uh, the restaurants. Because if you think about it, Fast food restaurants just in California alone, there are 38,000 fast food restaurants in California. Multiply that with states like Texas, Northeast, West Coast, we're looking at upward of 200,000. In ChargeNet's case, we would connect all 200,000 plus fast food restaurants. From American society's perspective, I would look at all the freeways and inner cities.
0: You're making me hungry just talking about it.
1: <laughs> Do you, have you been to Taco Bell just uh, out of
0: curiosity? I, I love it. In fact, I'll tell you a story. When in, in my music business days, I knew the guy that was part of the run for the ball. You know that.
1: <laughs> Do you remember the jingle too? <laughs> the
0: jingle, absolutely. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so uh, yeah. So pretty soon we're going to see you guys at uh, McDonald's, I guess. That that's must be on your radar.
1: I mean, the yes, um, all fast food restaurants, quick serve restaurants, we're speaking to quite a lot of them. I think also this market needs to get comfortable with this idea as well. Mm-hmm. If you look at it from their eyes, Their core business is selling food or real estate. If you're looking at McDonald's, then it's real estate. What we are providing is an energy solution. It's another revenue stack item for them. And they probably need to see some examples, which they're coming around very shortly. By the end of this year, they will have 50 plus. But the idea to them, it should be getting warmed up to
0: Mm -hmm. them. In California, people that have solar on their rooftops, for the most part, drive electric cars.
1: Makes sense.
0: Is that more difficult to implement on the East coast? The solar component? It's like, yeah, we want electric vehicles. What's this about the sun? Well, what are the solar panels? I got your solar panels. <laughs> so is it harder to sell on the East coast with a, a, a whole wrap solution?
1: I, I wouldn't say it's harder. I think it, it is at the end of the day, you're looking at, you know, you're a solar guy, you're looking at the production profile. There are definitely, there are months where solar profile is not very attractive, which makes sense, the winter months. So our first step is that we're not taking out solar completely from the equation. We still look at the final production numbers, and they're going to vary by season and month by month. And there are going to be cases where solar just doesn't pan out, and that's the reality. Yeah.
0: Yeah, but for the most part, the market is ripe. Residential customers are purchasing battery storage, solar PV, and electric vehicles. It's a pretty awesome package. It really is. What's your next car? What What's your next electric vehicle, Venus?
1: My electric car. Uh, you know, I don't want to give more PR than needed. I love my Model 3.
0: Okay. <laughs>
1: I have had other electric cars, like I mentioned, and I had to get towed. But that that was like six, seven years ago. Those were what I call compliance cars. It, it wasn't made truly to be competitive in the market. So I'm going to stick with my Model 3 for now. I mean, Porsche Taycan was pretty good. I don't know if it's Taycan or Taycan. I always get confused. But I have been in that one. That was really nice. But I do have two little kids, so I do need a four-door car too.
0: And, you know, it is so exciting when you pull up to an EV charger and it used to be just Teslas on the road. Now there's GMs, there's Ford, the Ford Lightning, the truck is pretty incredible. I don't know whether you've seen that. And Uh, and yes. It's a battery. It'll power a house. Well, not the whole house, but an electric car. Let's talk about that. Bidirectional electric vehicle charging systems. What's your thoughts on that?
1: I'll sum it up in like a few words. I I love it. Mm -hmm. I I love it. Like, we are in the state right now where people are considering going off the grid because, you know, grid is aging and we're getting more and more PSPS events, which are public safety power shut off, and there used to be wildfire season. Now we get wildfires throughout the year. We had one in January, like in the middle of the winter, we had a massive wildfire. Where I'm going with this is like, I love the idea. I I love the idea of Ford Lightning being able to power the house. What a great product that people who are already frustrated in some aspects of you know, what we have gone through in some cases as a residential customer, you may end up paying more for solar now. I don't know Ru, if you're familiar, some changes that are coming in California, mm-hmm. new requirements and that frustrates people. They're like, I am being a good steward and you're charging me extra to being good steward. And on the other end, the utilities have a legitimate reason to, they're looking at it as like, what about the customers who do not and can't build solar and don't have access to it. Setting all the political arguments aside, I love the product too. I think it's a cool looking car. My husband and I were debating between Rivian or Lightning. I'm like, good luck. You will get neither one of them for two years. <laughs> By the time you sign up, you will be so long in the queue. But yes, both cars will be electric. There's no doubt in our mind. And the second one is going to be a truck. So we'll, we'll try out
0: both. That's awesome. Now, for our listeners, when we talk about the bi-directional charging of the EVs, it actually works in the same way as chargenet the battery energy storage component, albeit the cars on wheels, where the car, when it's static, could actually act as a battery pack to power up certain components of your home. The big motor manufacturers are thinking about this. It was a futuristic component. Now it's more like around the corner. I'm seeing EV charger manufacturers, the EVSEs, they're actually thinking of, well, let's make it bidirectional for when the vehicles do come that the customers don't have to replace the chargers. So pretty exciting, pretty exciting there.
1: I'm curious, so you may have shared this with your listeners already. Uh, if this is repeating it, then I apologize. How did you get into the EV charging renewable space?
0: So I got into electric vehicles because my family in the UK was electrical contractors. And I had some experience with DC batteries because of the milk floats. That You know, my uncle had a, a contracting business. And he did some repair on some battery milk floats, like electric cars back in the day. This was like 35 years ago. So I answered an RFP in 1994 for who has any experience in electric vehicles. And I put my hand up with 2,000 other contractors. And I was selected from 2,000 to be part of 20 contractors. This was with Southern California Edison. I think you're familiar with Edison, and uh, it was part of the ZEV mandate, the zero emission vehicle mandate. This was in the the late 90s, and that ZEV mandate is still alive today that says by 2012, listen to this, guys, 2012, 10% of vehicles on the California highways shall be zero emission. Now, that was a dream back in the 90s. I was part of that infrastructure you know, I was one of the contractors that was part of the design and implementation and the service of the early days. My first charger was in 1995 for the GM EV1. So I was happily installing them. And then I paid to take them out, sadly, with the political regime. Then I moved over to solar ...and did operations and maintenance... ...and I came back into electric vehicles again... ...a decade later... ...so I saw, you know, the early days of it... ...if you like... ...I had a vision back then... ...and it's not a premonition or whatever... ...but it was a dream that... ...one day I'm going to be driving on the California freeways... ...and I'm going to look around... ...and within my sight... ...I will see an electric car... ...now, back in the day that was... ...my friends laughed at me... but ...but now on the California highways you can look around and you will see a Tesla or an electric car. There's a good chance that you can do that. Now I have another dream right now that within 10 years, you're going to look around and you're going to see 10 electric vehicles in your plane of sight. I believe that Venus, do you?
1: I hope it's more than 10. Yes. Yes. I really hope. I have a dream that it will be like, you will be playing a game to spot an ice. Maybe I'm like dreaming a little bit too big, but I just look around my neighborhood. We are already seeing Rivians and obviously Teslas, Ionics, and many other plug-in hybrids. I can see out of like every four cars, there's one EV or a plug-in hybrid.
0: So you got a lot of work to do.
1: (laughs) I know. You
0: you have a lot of work to do because there's a lot of cars that's going to want your chargers. And to be honest with you, if I see the two locations and I got one with solar and battery, I'm going to pick yours. I am a big fan. So seriously,
1: we hope it it plays with the customer thought process exactly like that. That if they see a solar canopy on one side and the other side doesn't have one, they go to our side. Because if you look at the total carbon footprint offset, it, it would be at our site because we got the battery storage and the solar. So that is the combined biggest impact in reducing the carbon footprint for a location or a business that's heavily known for large carbon
0: footprint. And by the way, they look beautiful. Your marketing is awesome. They look, The stations look really, really cool. So Venus, sadly, we've come to the end of the show. It has been an absolute blast and a pleasure to have you on as our guest. Will you come back and see us soon?
1: Of course, uh, I would like to check out your car. Uh, okay. I mean, of course, I'm going to come see you too. Uh, it's not all about your car, but yes, absolutely.
0: And I'll, the next time we're speaking together, you're absolutely right. I'll show up in my EV. I'm thinking I could have done the Phoenix run because we were both speaking at a, an EV event, an EV conference recently, and uh, I was going to do it, but there was a dark corridor where I needed a Taco Bell. On the ten freeway between Los Angeles and Phoenix, Arizona, if you can think about putting one on one of those uh, Taco Bells out there.
1: Absolutely. Next weekend, I'm doing the same trip for that reason. I I, want to test drive. or This is my experiment. I'm going to be driving to Phoenix, taking my EV. So, whew, now you're scaring me. But uh, (laughs) yes, if I see a Taco Bell, I'll talk to the owner.
0: Okay, awesome. Well, sadly, we've come to the end of today's show, sponsored by Fluke Corporation, a world leader in reliable test and measurement tools. Also want to thank you, our listeners, for tuning in. It wouldn't be the same without you guys. we got some great stuff coming up. I just had a new electric vehicle charger installed in my garage, and I'm going to tell you all about it. The good, the bad, the ugly. Now, more information about the show can be found on the show notes. Be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss out on an episode. And if you liked an episode, share it with your friends, would you? Leave us a rating. Helps us reach even more EV enthusiasts. Thanks again for listening to me chat about EVs. See you on the next show. Ciao.